Hi, this is Catherine Losota, host of LIC Reading Series, a monthly event at LIC Bar in Long Island City, Queens. In this episode of our podcast, you're going to hear the panel discussion from our November 13, 2018 event, which featured Heather Abel, Nana Kwa Brew-Hammond, and Ariel Schrag. You're also going to hear from the Magic Silver Box, which shows up at all of our panel discussions at LIC Reading Series. I ask audience members to put questions into the Magic Silver Box, and if I ask a question from the box during the panel discussion, the person who asks that question gets a prize. If you want to hear the readings from this event, just listen to our previous episode. And now let's start our panel discussion from November 13th, 2018, with Heather Abel, Nanoqua Brew-Hammond, and Ariel Schrag. Um, all right, so welcome to the panel portion of the evening. Uh, I'm going to ask you guys some questions before we dive into the box. And um, before we dive into the box... <laughs> yes. Uh, and so we have, you know, three different publications here tonight, but I think I want to start off, um, I did a recently read an essay that Heather wrote where she talked about how long, how many years went into making this book, The Optimistic Decade. And I know Ariel, um, this collection is drawn from different times in your life. And we have, I mean, we have Powder Necklace, the novel, but also the story that you have in the collection. So maybe you could each speak a little bit about um, the amount of years of the timeline that went into producing these beautiful pieces of writing artwork we have here on the table now as finished products. Like, here's the finished product, but what pain, sweat, and tears and time went into that? And anyone can start that. Start. I'll start. So mine, I've, I kind of lost track because it's been so many years. It really took me so many years to write that book. Um, but most of it wasn't writing. Someone asked me at a reading, maybe it was yesterday, how if they were like, count the years that you know that you were actually writing. I guess it was like three years if you can push them together. But there are jobs. Um, I was really sick, and I, you know, I don't always say that. But like, though, if anyone here is living with chronic illness or knows people living with chronic illness. It takes away from your writing time and other parts of your life. So I went to grad school here. I got super sick. It wasn't diagnosed for a couple of years. And then I had to get better. I was trying to write during that time, but you're changing a lot. Um, and then I got an agent. Turns out getting an agent like really early from grad school. And then I couldn't write because I had an agent. That was too scary. <laughs> so sometimes I like go back to that time. I'm like, young Heather, right then when you had no children and you had an agent, but I couldn't. So, um, there was the sickness. There was the, the terrible thing of getting the agent. Um, and then <laughs> there was the first kid. And my teacher said to me, she's like, you got to finish. I, I was working on this book and I would like write drafts and then throw them away and entirely write it again, which I really hope I don't do for the next book, but I just did it. And, and she said, you know, you got to stop because you're going to have this baby. I was like you sitting there, you know, with the, the belly. And she said, you're going to be a different person. And I said, oh, no, 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 I'm not, not me, I'll stay me. And then I had the baby and I didn't write for a while. And when I went back to writing, it kind of changed, right? And then I threw away that book. It was the same book. I kept my care. I really loved my characters and I loved what they were doing, but I kept rewriting it. Um, and I did that a couple more times because then I had another baby and then I had to rewrite it again. And then um, 
I had an, a good thing to talk about also was like, you know, publishing is, is crazy. Um, so then I had an agent and then he stopped agenting and then I got another agent. And then two weeks later, he sold it. And that was great. So there was one moment that was quick in like maybe 15 years, which was in two weeks. My agent sold it. That was my third agent. So it was a long process. Yeah. It must have felt crazy then. I mean, you started out with like, oh, the condensed time was three years, but actually the the, the full time was 15 years. Yeah. I mean, I wrote other things. I wrote yeah. a lot of essays. I wrote uh, academic stuff. I wrote journalism. I ghost wrote, you know, I did the whole thing you do. But with this particular book, I had the idea, um, you know, a long time ago. And I, someone asked me yesterday, like, why didn't you just stop? And I, I really care. I, these characters felt important to me. I wanted to sort of carry them along. And it also felt like a story that if I didn't write the story that was sort of, the story combines my ideas about protest and my ideas about summer camps and rituals and Judaism. No one else is going to write that particular book. So then I was like, I have to write it. So then I, I kept it going. I have a similar story. Um, I um, had been looking for an agent. It took me four years to find an agent. So the, the original draft of Powder Necklace took me about maybe two and a half years to write. Um, I One of the big things was um, I started writing it like right out of college and I wanted it to be like a true story, but then my family is very um, private. Everyone just, it just got too weird to just for it to be true. So then I fictionalized it and that took its own time. And then it took me four years to find um, an agent. I finally find an agent um, and then the um, economic crisis hits. <laughs> and so she sold it very quickly. She um, sold it in about two months to Simon and Schuster. So I was so excited, but then they decided to hold it because of the economic crisis for a year. So she sold it in 2008 and we didn't start um, any of the editing process until 2009. And then the book ended up coming out in April, 2010. So uh, that was its own kind of um, thing, but with everyday people. Um, so I, that book just came out, that, that anthology just came out and when um, Jennifer um, Baker, who is the amazing editor, I mean, talking about editors just for a second as a writer, one of the things that um, you need is an advocate. You need that person that's on your side. And Jennifer Baker was the most amazing advocate and is the most amazing advocate. Um, so throughout the process, I felt really safe with her, safe with my story, just because we didn't really have a lot of parameters as to like what what we should be contributing. And I was nervous because, you know, I'm writing about Ghana. I'm writing about Accra. Who knows? A lot of people have all these questions. With, you know, should we over um, explain some of the terms in the in the book or in the in the story or not? And she was just such a, sh a sure and steady hand throughout the process, asking the exact right questions so that it didn't lose the integrity of the story or the color of the story um, while sort of making it, you know, able for people to kind of understand what's happening um, for moments that they didn't. So anyway, um, so I just kind of, the story was inspired by something that actually happened. My um, grandmother, as I mentioned, um, lives in this, this neighborhood in East Lagon and there's been sort of rise in, in petty and not so petty crime in the area. And, um, 
my cousin um, was asleep because my cousin lives with her and he was asleep and he sort of in the haze or fog of sleep sort of woke up and saw his phone like sliding across the floor (laughs) and up the wall and out the window. And so he must have, he somehow knew who or suspected who had stolen his phone, which was his phone. And so he confronts this person in the neighborhood the next day. And the person's like, yes, I stole your phone and I saw your grandmother naked in the bed and I'm coming back and I'm going to fuck her. So we were like, what? So, but everyone was laughing because my grandmother is um, very, very Christian and we were like, oh yeah, he's going to come back and my grandmother is going to like preach him to death. Like she's going to like sequester him. So it became a sort of joke amongst my sister and I about like what would happen if this guy came back. And so the story is a sort of, you know, an, an imagination of what that would have been like. Um, so, so that's what, so that was quick. Wow. And I and I uh, thank you for mentioning Jennifer. Jennifer Baker is an alumna of the LIC Reading Series. She's read here and she is wonderful and she's a wonderful advocate for writers. So um there I um so part of it spans twenty years. Um the earliest story takes place when I was six in nineteen eighty six and then the last one when I'm twenty six in two thousand six. And in terms of writing the stories, it also spans almost 20 years. Some of the stories in there I wrote while I was in college and some of them I wrote up until last year. So it's really kind of a wide breadth. Um, And, uh, oh, actually, no, one of the stories I wrote when I was 17. Um, So, yeah, it's, uh, so it took a long time and I basically had been working on them, you know, for the past decade or so and and kind of knew that I wanted to put a book together eventually and at one point kind of looked at the stuff that I was working on and, and felt like I was getting ready for that moment and it came. Wow. So I'm wondering um, just in this spans of time that went into putting these books together and then also um, Nana you mentioned even selling a book and then it being kind of shelved for a year and then the editing happening later and then putting out uh, and then Ariel these things that you'd written uh, over different periods of time and then now putting them in a collection, has, did your feelings towards your work change when you when you were already in a process of, oh, okay, now I'm getting this book out in the world and it's already still changing, and then at what point is it done? Like, how, how, can you talk about that process a little bit or that, that how that felt? I mean, I definitely, I think it because it had taken so long for me that when... I've been getting rejected for like four years from agents. And then I finally get this agent and it almost felt like what was wrong. Like I remember when I, when I met with this agent, I was just like, she was too young. She, I had all these things in my head. Like she doesn't know what she's doing. And then she sells it to Simon and Schuster. So it all felt like unreal. And then when I was going through the editing process, it was sort of like I lost my voice because I was just like, whatever you say, whatever you say, just, I want to see this book out into the world, you know? And so, um, I think there, like now when I read it, I'm like, oh my goodness, there's so many things that I wish I had fought for or things I would change. Um, but I think that's part of it. Like, I remember there's like a famous, um, Zadie Smith quote where she says like, you know, right before reading, mm-hmm. she has like her red pen in her hand, mm-hmm. like crossing out and correcting things. I don't think it's ever, I think as a writer, getting comfortable with the fact that the work is never done and just, 
just accepting that it's an organic process as you get older, as you change, you know, the story changes. Thankfully, you can keep writing new things. <laughs> For me, it was more of a vision, like a issue of the visuals. Um, so because I was, you know, in putting this book together now and, and including older work, I was able to make some changes and it was almost entirely just redoing handwriting mm -hmm. because in the earlier work, I just, I don't know what it was, but just my writing was so small and just not clear enough. And I think the thing that's changed the most for me as a, I've become, uh, you know, a more experienced cartoonist is that the most important thing is that it needs to be legible. And I always knew that, but I never quite followed mm -hmm. it. I was like, but I got to squeeze in this word or it's fine. It's never fine people need to be able to read it. So I went back and like, um, you know, using Photoshop and cutting and pasting and stuff, read it for the earlier comics, redid all the lettering. That's really interesting. Also, I don't know, if, uh, I'm going to just psychoanalyze you for a second here and say like smaller writing in the earlier work is almost feels like, um, oh yeah, people need to be able to read this and getting larger. It seems like a, Increase in confidence. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Accurate LIC reading series psychoanalysis done. You're welcome. I will charge you two hundred dollars for that, Heather. Oh yeah. So my book, um, my editor, who I really loved working with, but she gave me comments in October of 2016 um, on my book, and so I got them, and they were very dramatic. So in the book, there's a character who's a young boy who not a, he's not a young boy. He's a young man. And he's 17, and he's the per kind of person who reinvents himself when he goes to camp. So he's a real loser at home who doesn't have any friends, but he gets to this utopian place, and he is sort of a god there. And he turns that place into his religion. I don't know if any of you either went to camp or went to college or went to a place where you kind of reinvented yourself, and he did. And in the book, um, think something happens to him. And I'm, I'm not going to tell you in case you're going to read it. And my editor said, you know what, this whole very, very, very different other thing has to happen to him. And it was very, it was a huge change. And so it was early October, I get this letter and I think to myself, well, you know, it's 2016. I'm like, well, I'm going to knock on doors in New Hampshire until the election. And then she gave me until January 1st to do the edits. And I was like, and then we're all going to be so happy. <laughs> and then I'm just going to write, 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 write. And so then I wasn't happy. We weren't happy. And so it was after the election, I had like a month and a half to make the changes and the book is about, in part, the different the conflict between a uh, urban, um, what one would might call like an urban educated person and the rural poor, and the rural poor have and the political differences. And um, I kept thinking to myself, "Wow, Donnie, this guy I love, but is a real kind of dick in this book." Uh, um, he would vote for Trump. He was going to vote for Trump. And so it was this moment after Trump was elected that I had to hold on to the love of certain characters. Mm -hmm. And that was a real interesting process and a good process for me. But it was also like, I felt like I was going crazy because, you know, we all felt crazy at that moment. And I had to sort of have these characters act really, they were acting sort of racist and anti-Semitically. And I had to also hold on to my empathy and love for them because that's what you do with your characters um, at that moment. And I felt sort of like I was losing my mind. So that, that was a change at the end. I like, being in the final edits of anything in the month and a half after yeah. that election would be a lot, but it's been, like with characters, that that's that's I commend you. I mean, in some ways, it was like I was I got to live in a different world, 
And then I came, I turned it in and I was like, oh shit, it really did happen. You know, so. So you're a prophet. Oh, clearly. <laughs> Careful what you write clearly. next. <laughs> Can you write the Amazon changed its mind? Yeah, no. Not coming here. Thanks. Um, I'm going to ask one more pretty kind of broad question. Um, is the motorcycle guns its engine outside? I miss our motorcycle, Carl. It got stolen. Maybe that's it. <laughs> Definitely not it. That's not what it sounded like. Um, yeah, there was like a rash of motorcycle theft in our neighborhood a few months ago, and that was the second time the bike got stolen. Well, second bike. Anyway, um, so uh, just to... Um, Last question for the silver box is, it's a question about place. Maybe um, because place seems so important, um, you know, in, a, in, in your stories, um, I'm thinking about place in terms of, you know, uh, these things happen in Ghana or the, in, in this utopian desert plain, um, uh, the, the different places, area where you lived at different stages of your life, et cetera, or, you know, visiting your grandmother in Maine. Um, maybe about the importance of place you feel when you're writing this story and how important that is to you and is that, is that you want to write about a place first or if place comes into importance. Or maybe take it from a different angle and talk about the importance of place when you're actually writing and the place that you're in. Because a couple of you live in New York City and one of you does not. And I wonder how you feel about where you are in the world and, and when you're writing. So you can take that as place... In, in the story itself or place where you're doing the work that's a really like answer like say whatever you want <laughs> question basically sure um well for me autobiographical comics are so much about wanting to recapture a memory and kind of evoke the feeling of a place through art and so you know i think it, and what's nice about them is you don't, well, for me, one of the joys of comics is that you don't have to describe anything mm -hmm. because you're drawing it. And in fact, if you do describe something, it, your comic is failing because it ends up being redundant. Um, but to be able to like just draw, you know, the woods of Maine or like the cities in the background of New York or the, you know, the shops on Shattuck Avenue in Berkeley where I'm from um, and to have that feeling of the place kind of just be there without without having to describe it or make it um, more part of the narrative the way I would in prose, I think. So there's something, that's part of what I love about comics is the way place gets to sort of exist um, in this subtle but really present way. Um, it's, I like the, the, the part of the question you asked, like what the place that you're in. <laughs> it's yeah. almost like... Um, I know. Um, I think when I, um, when I, 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 you know, I was born in the States, went to Ghana when I was 12. So when I remember when I first went there, the place seemed like this magical, like just this amazing place that just felt like everything was happening on like a spiritual plane. And, and it was um, a really powerful experience for me. So I really wanted to communicate that in, with Powder Necklace. And 
Um, now that I've been going back for the last 20 years, once a year, um, I've become a lot more jaded and more, um, I see it more as just like a city, um, just like the way I see New York and there are many, um, it's very expensive, there's crime, there's all these different things. And so, um, as sort of my view or I, I, I have a less romantic view of like Ghana, of the cities, um, that I have been in there, been there. Um, I'm writing it from a different kind of place. So I was a sociologist in college and then I was a journalist. And for me, like in fiction, people always say like, do you start with plot or do you start with character? And for me, it's always place. Um, I like places not, you know, for like a romantic beauty, but for what you said you came to, like, I like places as a source of people having really different stories about the same place and having to live in the same, in it. So in Colorado, looking at the same mountain and having totally opposite ideas of what you're supposed to do about a mountain or about a place. And the same in New York. I When I moved to New York, I felt like it was a, you know, it's a place of stories, clearly. And then I moved to Northampton and it was like vacant. Like I couldn't find us. I was like, there is no story. It's the most homogenous place I've ever lived. It's like racially, economically, like everyone votes the same. It's ever They're so proud. They're like, we all voted for Hillary Clinton. I'm like what are we doing here? Um, and yet I, I live there. I really do. And so I decided a few years ago that my next novel has to take place there because I have to see mm. it as a place of stories. So that's what I'm working on now is trying to feel like how, what are the stories that can exist there? And there are there. And there's so some of it's sort of the history coming, some of it's this idea about the future. A lot of it is about ticks. There's a lot of ticks there. <laughs> and I'm writing about illness yeah. and ticks and the evil that is oh, the, the grass. <laughs> Ticks are like they're they're taking over. They're yeah. deciding how we're going to live. My mother-in-law has alpha gal. Do you know about this? Oh yeah, the meat. allergic to red meat. Yeah, that's in the book. She grew up in northern Minnesota hunting, and now she's allergic to red meat. Like they're they're saying like, nope, you're not going to because gonna. of ticks. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's tick a tick bite. disease. It creates that yeah. allergy to red meat. It's really it's a thing. Come to Northampton. There's it's so not just lime tick guys. Tick bites you, and then you can't eat red meat. What happens? Um, you get sick. Like she she gets dizzy and passes out. Whoa. Ticks are like the Amazon of insects. Exactly. <laughs> All right, guys. So we're gonna move into the magic silver box, and the first question is going to go to one of you, and we have to decide who's gonna get that question. And so we're gonna decide it like this. I'm thinking of something that you put on your feet. So each of you tell me something that comes to mind that one would put on their feet. Heather? You can go third. I mean, you have I time to think about this. No, no. So we have nail polish, foot cream, and shoes. Interesting, because when I was first thinking of the question, I was like, what kind of footwear do we... No, but there's many things one can put on a foot. <laughs> I was thinking of slippers. I was thinking of all kinds of things. But what I settled on was nail polish. Yes. Believe it or not, and I'm not lying. I actually never lie. I'm telling you exactly what I was thinking. It was <laughs> nail polish. There's no way to tell if I'm lying, but I'm not. So, Heather, this question is for you. Right. The asker of this question is going to get two things. A drink ticket and... A, a scenic America. 
2019 calendar, courtesy of Vernon Boulevard Pharmacy, where I fill all my prescriptions. <laughs> I got it. I, I filled a prescription there yesterday. And I got some Tootsie Rolls because they had leftover Halloween candy. <laughs> so, you know, you can have the calendar. All right. Um, let's see here. <clears throat> How did you choose the title of your book? Oh, I have, I have wait, an wait, answer. Wait, wait, wait. Let's find out who okay. asked this question. Yeah, you're going to get a drink, and you're going to know what day it is. <laughs> Thank you for asking this question, because I have an answer. I was so worried that because of nail polish, I was going to have to not have an answer to something. Okay, it's it's like an embarrassing answer, because it's, like, dramatic, but I'll, and I haven't, I don't, I don't tell it, but I'll tell it. You asked. Um, it was 9-11. I was uh, living with my boyfriend, now husband, person who kept me from Colorado forever, but a nice guy. Um, <laughs> and he was living, he had an apartment in the time in the West Village. And I had not yet started the book. It was just maybe another day. Um, and I went out, he, he had already left for grad, his grad school. And I went out, I heard it on the NPR and I went outside and I saw the tower fall. And I saw the other tower fall, and someone came up to me and said, oh, and I heard a voice in my head, and it said, that was the end of the optimistic decade. Mm -hmm. And then I ran to my mother's house. Mm -hmm. We do. And I wrote it down, and I just kept it written down for a very long time. And it didn't, it, the book, but the book is really about not that decade, so it's a metaphoric decade, as you find out later in the book. I'm giving everything away, but you still read the book. Um, but it is this idea that each of us have a time where the world feels malleable and the self strong, and we we feel like we can change the world. Does that end in a decade? You know, so and it felt like that was sort of the end of that or something. And each of the characters, even though they're very different politically, have this sort of sense of idealism that tends to crushing despair, but comes you know. Can you come back? <laughs> so if you need a pick-me-up, <laughs> The Optimistic Decade by Heather Abel. Um, this book really did uh, live through many years, and like the, the title like yeah. existed a long time ago. Uh -huh. right, well, you are in the clear for the next question, Miss Nail Polish. <laughs> um, right, so the... Nana and Aria, this is a... You can do this. <laughs> I'm thinking of a number. Always seven. <laughs> well, you're wrong. Wait for the whole question. Between 31 and 89. Ooh. 77. 63. Okay, we have 77 from Ariel and 63 from Nana. Okay, 63, 77. The question is, are we price or prices writing this? We have to do. We can't. You can't go over. I'm sorry. I'm like telling you that after you already said your numbers. But the correct answer was 72. So by those rules that the audience has just decided, <laughs> Nana gets this question. Sorry. Okay. All right. And the asker of this question gets a blue, dark blue envelope <laughs> in the shape of a square that you can use for any number of purposes, including holding your gift certificate to, um, whoop, that's the wrong one. <laughs> Hold on a second. Oh, I'm really glad I opened that. That was not what I thought it was. It was a Christmas card to us, Carl. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so the asker of this question is going to get a 
egg white envelope, rectangular, that can hold your Astoria Bookshop gift certificate. Good for in-store purchase. Go check out that amazing store, you go. All right. I'm glad I loved it. I was like, why does this have glitter on it? Oh, <laughs> it's our Christmas card to us <laughs> from a place that sometimes gives gift certificates. <laughs> you guys, give me a break. I have a toddler at home. That's my excuse for everything every time I met. Okay, okay. Oh, what do you say? This is for Nana. Okay. Bookstore gift certificate. <clears throat> what were you reading while working on the piece that you read tonight? Oh, so hard. And um, we can do that for that's a, it's a two part. But I think we'll stick with the one part. Who asks this? Yeah. Oh, that's a good question. I'm trying to remember because. I wrote this story um, probably about a year and a half ago now. So what was I reading? Hmm. That's a tough question. Um, Do you want part two instead? Part, tell me part, two. part two is what are the books, poems, or anything that you return to often? What I return to often. I have to say that my, um, I want to go back to what was I reading because just because my, so I'm currently having a bad relationship with reading right now. Reading. I I love reading. I grew up reading and reading's amazing, but as a writer, it has totally fucked up my relationship to reading because now I read, like, reading is work to me now. So I'm reading for craft. I'm reading, I'm hate reading. I'm like, I can't believe this book is out and my book is still not out. Um, so it's really messed up my reading. But what I've read, I'll just, I'll deflect your question and say what I've read recently that I really loved was um, How to Get Filthy Rich in Rising Asia and um, The Reluctant Fundamentalist. Um, which I read back to back. I read like all of his, like I, I read all of his books. Um, and those books were really good for me. So I'm sorry. <laughs> I can't remember what I was reading a year and a half ago. And I have a bad, really, I'm a bad reader right now. <laughs> Thank you for your honesty about reading. I think it's a fair thing. Like, yeah, you could totally, you read as a writer now. Yeah. <laughs> Guess what? Ariel gets this last question without having to guess anything. <laughs> and it's a baller prize because Ariel's pub date, you get a baller prize. You get a $25 gift certificate to the Gantry restaurant just up the street. Uh-huh. Uh, the owners of LSE Bar also own, he also owns this restaurant. It's wonderful. I'm sorry it's a little dented, but it's signed and official. Um, and I think they serve till 11, so if you're real super hungry, you could swing over there now, or you should just come here next month and eat dinner beforehand. Or the question is, writing or having written? (laughs) (laughs) Um, I mean, I think it really, I think it really can be either in the sense that when you're writing and you know it's going well and you get into the quote unquote flow and you can lose yourself in it and 
feel like M M&M. exactly <laughs> like M M&M and feel um M M&M confidence and uh laugh at yourself and feel things like I mean that nothing is greater than that. But when it's not going well and you're like deleting every word that you write, I mean it's really hell like it might be just hell. Like it's the like you just it's it's so horrible. You're just because you're in an obsessive spiral with, you know, hating yourself and everything. And and having written, if you like what you wrote, it's great. <laughs> if you don't like what you wrote, it's the hell spiral again. So I, to me, they're kind of, it's all sort of the same. Um, but I will say that the hardest moment is always right before you sit down to write. Um, at least in my experience, uh, once you start writing, even if it's hellish, like at least, you know, that you're trying, um, and it's that moment of procrastination before you actually do it. That is the hardest, but that moment of procrastination, there is one cure for that and it's having children. (laughs) So, yes, makes you efficient. We can talk about that all night, but I know it's getting late and I know we're going to wrap up here in a minute. I just want to totally make sure that somebody gets uh we had a, a earlier in the year we had a, a night with feminist press and we have three feminist press pencils in here and i want to give a question that all three authors have to very quickly answer and whoever asks this gets three orange pencils and i hope the color hasn't been the color orange hasn't been ruined for you <laughs> <laughs> but write with these pencils so that you can feel both like the despair of writing and also the pain and pleasure are like two sides of a coin. Very much so. They're on the same. You keep laughing at me, but I'm speaking truths. (laughs) All right. So I'm going to ask a partial part of this part of this question. The partial, I lost it. I remembered it though. It's in here. I will. Oh, here it is. You get three pencils. Um, If you have a superpower, what is it? If you don't have a superpower, what would you want it to be? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, you get all three, man. A lot of pressure. You got to write something good with that now. All right, who's who has a super? Any of you have a superpower? I had a superpower and I lost it. Okay, that's good. Yeah. Tell us what that okay. is. I had this amazing memory. Like I could remember, like. People would come up to me, this is when I lived in San Francisco in like the mid-90s, and they would come up to me and be like, Heather, what did I do a year ago Thursday? And be like, I saw you in Dolores Park. Oh, my God. You were wearing this. You were eating this burrito. I mean, everything was in the burrito, but you know, like that sort of a thing. And I knew it. And I could say like, here's what I did Tuesday for eight years. And it was amazing. I think it was because part of this chronic disease I had that I wasn't diagnosed with until I was almost 30, I had insomnia my whole life. And I never slept. So I would just like go over things and go over things. It was really cool to have it. And now I don't remember anything. So I think if I could have one, I'd like to have it back. But I want to keep sleeping. But you sleep now. So you not sleep and just recall the Mm -hmm. day and that like ingrained it in your mind. Yeah. Okay. So I want it back, but it's not, not, I'm just saying to the gods, not enough to stay up even tonight. (laughs) (laughs) I, I could forget this. For the sake of sleep. Yeah. Yeah, I I get it. I get it. Mm-hmm. You'll remember this forever, though, because it was amazing. Oh no, this right? I will remember. That's amazing. 
Okay, if you don't have a superpower, what would you want your superpower to be? I'm terrible at these kinds of questions. <laughs> I'm like, too, I guess my, I would want my superpower to be to not burrow in my head and think and think and think and think. Because I'm like, what would I want it to be? Um, I, um, I would want to be able to not sleep. Oh, but not be tight. Yes, yeah. yes, because I, I, maybe that's terrible. Like, I, <laughs> oh, terrible. Um, because I, I, I think sleep is good, but, but so is life. Yeah, it's all that I, time. I think I'm like, I feel, yeah, I feel anxious about time. And so sleep, that's part of why I'm also, I've also become a bad reader because I'm like, oh, the time I could be, I'm using to read, I could be writing. And so I would want to be, I would want time. That's what I want. Not to not sleep, but more time to create time. But if you, if you could create the time in your life, you would just, I would cut out sleep. Sleep is what I can get rid of. <laughs> That's the boring part. <laughs> you got to get you some good dreams. Yeah. I, I do have really vivid dreams. Okay, well then. Don't give up sleep. No, time, right. time. Time, time. Okay, good. Ariel? Let's be calm with you. Um, I, it's not totally a superpower but i would just really love to be able to be like a really good skateboarder <laughs> i just want to like coast down the street do some ollies like you know go, go down a rail I just, that, is cool. that would be my dream <laughs> all right you guys heard it here first ariel shrag wants to be tony hawk but cooler and maybe sleeping also I like sleep. So tonight, I just want to thank all of our writers for coming out. Thank you so much for Heather, Nana, and Ariel. That's today's show. If you like what you heard, tell a friend or leave a review wherever you found us. Special thanks to LIC Bar, the Astoria Bookshop, and our amazing intern, Nadine Santoro. A big thank you to our sponsors over the years, LIC Corner Cafe, Sweet Leaf Coffee, Court Square Diner, and the Gantry Restaurant. This episode was recorded by Carl Jacob and mixed and edited by Justin Alvarez. Our theme music is by Pat Irwin. The LIC Reading Series is made possible in part by the Queen's Council on the Arts with public funds from the New York City Department of Cultural Affairs in partnership with the City Council. I'm your host, Catherine Lasota. See you next time in Queens.